Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live like Jesus. Please be seated. Good morning, Journey Church. As you can see, we are a church that is underwater. And that's not financially, we're actually literally underwater. For those of you who can't see because you're online, um, we've got a great grid system here and uh, the beginning of water and waves. And this is a great testament to a church that is on mission. Um, this is the week of Tim Tebow Night to Shine. And uh, this, this place is going to be decked out. It's going to be a shipwreck over here. And there's going to be boulders over there. And we are going to have a party of all parties coming this Friday night called Tim Tebow's Night to Shine. Uh, what I love about this is um, we do both. And what do I mean? A church on mission, we do both, meaning we do big things that I describe as all of us to all of them. All of us to all of them, a church that gathers and for the sake of those who are outside, uh, serve our community and we are the church that is known as the church that is uh, the, the disability inclusive church of southern Arizona. That's us. And uh, we get to partner with some other churches, but this is just an exciting week. And so that's the meaning of, of this grid system, of these cables, and what's coming up. And we have an amazing team of decorators. Um, we have an amazing lineup of uh, largest Tim Tebow Night to Shine that we've ever participated in. I got this last night from, from our director, Christy Hanneman. She said we, that we have 235 guests signed up. That means... Friends with Disabilities, 235. We have 200 parents and caregivers that are coming that are going to be in the respite room. They're going to be dropping off their, their people, and they're going to be here on campus. We have 530 volunteers. These volunteers represent 43 different churches in our county. 43 churches. Three main sponsoring churches, but, but 43 churches, people that are coming from those places to serve, and then 49 different schools, businesses, and organizations represented by our volunteers. So right now, and this number keeps growing, 967 individuals plan to be here on the property, uh, going over what we did last time by like 400. So, yeah. We want to stop. I appreciate, appreciate Tom's prayer and remembering this. But can we do one more time just reflecting um, on this and praying for all that God wants to do and how, how the gospel light will shine in and through this place, Lord. All of us to all of them, a church on mission, and along with other churches on mission, Lord, we want to be that city on a hill. We want to be that salt and that light that you spoke so eloquently of in Matthew chapter 5, Lord, that um, who knows, the harvest might take place five, ten years from now, but Lord, seeds of the gospel and the aroma of Christ going out from this place into the community, may it be to the praise of your glory, we pray this together in Jesus' precious name, amen? Amen. Well, not only do we do all of us to all of them, but this morning we're talking about each of us to a few at a time. So the story's told of a man who told his son the secret to a long and healthy life 
And the secret was that his son should sprinkle a little bit of gunpowder on his cornflakes every morning. And sure enough, the son lived to the ripe old age of 93 years old. He left behind 14 children, 28 grandchildren, 35 great-grandchildren, and a 15-foot hole in the wall of the crematorium. You go, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, he had 14 kids. Oh, the gunpowder in the hole. No, that's not true. Are you crazy? No, but, but this man actually had that big of an impact. A family impact. And here's the, the great news. You don't have to be a mother or a father to have an impact in your family to have an impact in your household. You can be an aunt or an uncle. You can be a daughter or a son. You can be a nephew or a niece. That whatever family system you find yourself in, you can have a massive impact, better than a 15-foot hole in a wall. You can impact that kind of, that number of lives. Now, we're on week five of a sermon series called The Great Commission. And it's really all about the spread of the gospel. And, and we absolutely believe in sending missionaries overseas with our prayer and our finances. We have some of them that ha- have actually now retired and they're a part of this congregation. They spent a lifetime overseas in foreign lands. They're now back and we salute you. We need more to actually go there. But we need all, all of us to pay attention and be concerned about the people that are right under our noses, the people that are already in our social networks, because the harvest is not only overseas, the harvest is in our midst. We discovered in week one that this kind of evangelistic fervor, this passion for the gospel flows from the very character and nature of God himself. That God is a missionary God and a missionary sending God. We discovered in week number two that the mission flows through and from God's redemptive plan of the ages. It began with the Abrahamic covenant fulfilled in Jesus and now passed on to you and me. In week three we saw that what the mission was, the mission really is to be an apprentice making apprentice. That's wrapped up in the idea of being a disciple. You're not a true disciple following the footsteps of Jesus until you are are a disciple-making disciple. Furthermore, to make disciples is to walk in the, the footsteps of Jesus. So that was week three. And then last week, we looked and discovered that the mission of making disciples, the mission of sharing the gospel, isn't for a select few called apostles. It's not for the gifted called evangelists. It's for the common, run-of-the-mill, everyday, down-to-earth, born-again Christian. That it's everyone. And this morning, as we end this series and take communion, found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it must begin here at home. Acts 1.8 says, 
Jesus speaking to probably 120 on the Mount of Olives immediately before his ascension. says, you will be my witnesses. And I believe that this is in ever-increasing spheres of influence. And so we're given the model. Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And what do we take away from this sequence is this. It begins in our Jerusalem. I once heard someone say that the church that shines the farthest overseas shines the brightest at home. Good thought, but I absolutely beg to differ. I have personally been a part of and seen so many churches that in the end, all they have left is writing support checks to foreign missionaries. They lost their home court. They lost their community. They no longer shine across the street. And yet, their only badge of honor is how much missionary sending they do. It is possible. It is possible. And according to Acts 1-8, I believe that we must begin in our Jerusalem. But here's my question. Who or what is my personal Jerusalem? Who or what is your personal Jerusalem? This is in the words of our former president, Ronald Reagan, in his farewell speech. He said, all great change in America begins at the dinner table. Who is my Jerusalem? Who is regularly at or invited to my dinner table? That is my Jerusalem. And in the scripture, there's a word. There's a word in the Greek for this kind of Jerusalem, this kind of dinner table. And it is called the house or the household. In the Greek, it is oikos. You're going to hear that word many times over today. Oikos, our mission field begins with our own oikos. Pastor Tom Mercer just retired from a church that he planted in Victorville, California called High Desert Church. Built an entire church on this word. And an oikos-centric evangelism. A church that went from 80 to 12,000, to even larger, and they do one thing. Train their people to reach their own household. This is Tom Mercer's definition of oikos, or extended household. Fourfold definition. The most natural and common environment for evangelism to occur. Most natural and common environment for evangelism to occur. Number two, a group of 8 to 15. Remember that. You have 8 to 15 people in your life with whom you share life most closely. This is your sphere of greatest influence. Number three, the people for whom God wants to prepare you to become an ideal instrument of his grace. God has predetermined it for you already. In number four, it's a microcosm of the world at large for whom God sent his son that all who place their faith in Christ 
would be delivered from the, the bondage of sin and enjoy life to the fullest. God wants to reach the world. And one of the primary ways through which he does this is through this oikos. Your oikos. My oikos. This has been the storyline, Old Testament, New Testament, ancient church, and up until this day. In fact, citing Michael Green once again that I introduced last week in his book, Evangelism in the Early Church, very scholarly work tracing the spread of the gospel in the first, second, and third century, he talks about the power of oikos. He says, apart from his own kith and kin, the household would include the slaves. They were dependent on it for their very life, livelihood and place in society. Not only the slaves, but the freedmen. The freedmen were former slaves that had worked off their debt and chose to stay present in their master's household. They took the family name. They remained in connection in a, in a word that, that was cited in ancient writings called the clientela. Sounds familiar? Um, it involved loyalty to the master of the household. Um, and in return, the master of the household would make sure that they're provided for. If they got into legal trouble, the master would step in and provide for them. These are close family uh, connections. A further group often reckoned with the familia or the oikos or the amici. And that's the word for close, trusted friends. In this kind of extended household, not just your biological children. God knows that we have more capacity. Healthy marriages, healthy households have more capacity than to merely raise their own children. In fact, if you want to give your children a vision of God and a vision of the mission of God, be a household on mission. Invite other people into your household experience. It is the lighthouse to the community. You have more capacity than just your children. And in fact, this is what was considered the ancient oikos, extended household experience. These were the social networks that each individual belonged to and was a part of and had for themselves. So here's our definition. If you want to fill in the blanks on your, on your no, notes, and this flows right out of history and right out of the scriptures that we're going to look at today. Oikos is my extended household of friends, relatives, and we're going to discover co-workers. Employees, co-workers that are peers and employers. All those are included in the oikos. This concept of oikos, I've told you, it's not only in in church history, it's all over the scriptures and specifically the pages of the New Testament. Quick, quick survey uh, sampling of this. There's a slide that's going to come up and I'm going to fly through these. In Mark 5.19, this is the demoniac that Jesus delivers, wants to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, no, go home, oikos, to your friends included in oikos. And tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Luke 19.9 the account of Zacchaeus. And it says here that when Zacchaeus says, I'm going to give away half my stuff and I'm going to repay fourfold anyone that I've, I've ripped off. Jesus says, today salvation has come to this oikos. 
We have in John 4, 53, the royal official's son that was healed from a distance. And it says, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all of his oikos. And then last one that's on the slide is um, Acts 16, 15. In fact, there's two accounts in Acts 16. I'll mention the other one in a moment. But this is Lydia, the seller of purple fabric, who had a Bible study prayer meeting down by the river that she actually is baptized, and the scripture says, not only her, but her entire oikos as well. An entire household believes and is baptized Baptized, And then if you were to go on and, and read the rest of chapter 16, you'd read the account of the Philippian jailer. And the word oikos is all over that account. All over it. And what's the point and why even the survey is this? Oikos is my Jerusalem. Oikos is your Jerusalem. And, and why is that so important? Because unless we understand our responsibility to oikos... We will believe that it's our job to share the gospel with everyone. And if we think that it's our job to share the gospel with everyone, we will likely share the gospel with no one. So if we could just focus in on that, to that 8 to 15 people that we have the greatest influence in. And I believe that if we would just do that, we would reach the entire world in a few short years. Because my hunch is that everyone is connected. Everyone is connected. By oikos. So if we just pay attention to that oikos in that Jerusalem, that dinner table. Now this morning I want to unpack uh, a narrative that comes out of Acts chapter 10. That I think demonstrates this so beautifully. And to give you a little context, and please turn there, Acts chapter 10, because it's not all going to be up here on, on the screen. A few verses are going to pop up there in a moment, but let me give you a little context. Um, written by uh, Luke... The physician. We think he may be um, non-Jewish, maybe the only non-Jewish writer of the scriptures. He wrote a two-volume set, Luke's Gospel and the book of Acts. So Luke is recording this for us. Um, Chapter 10 is actually 10 years after not only the Great Commission, but 10 years after Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world. It's 10 years after And yet so great was the the cultural and emotional divide between the Jewish people and the Gentiles that 10 years after getting the commission, even though Jesus had torn down the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, 10 years ago at the crucifixion, he tore down the wall with his broken body and shed blood on the cross. But 10 years later, The ancient church was still predominantly Jewish. And the Gentiles had not been brought in. And so God's going to intervene here in chapter 10. And do something miraculous. To unlock and open the floodgate of the gospel to the Gentile peoples. I'm going to read this out of my paper copy of the scriptures today. And with uh, hopefully not too many comments so we can actually enjoy the flow of the narrative. It says here at Caesarea, that's on the Mediterranean coast, 
There was a man named Cornelius, a centurion. That means he was in charge of a hundred soldiers. He was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. This was a special unit that he's in charge of. Verse 2 says he's a devout man who feared God with all his household. There's the word oikos. His entire household. He's a good man. And everyone belonging to his household, they are good people. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour, this would be three o'clock in the afternoon, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he started or stared at him in terror and say, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial to God. Now send men to Joppa. This is 33 miles down the coast from Caesarea. 33 miles down to Joppa. And bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with another Simon, a tanner, who is Oikia. So this is the structure that's related to household. Um, His house is by the sea. When the angel of the Lord who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants. Stop there. The household servants were so closely identified with the house that the word in the Greek is oikates. So these household servants are actually householders. Make sense? I just made a word. They're household servants, and that's the word. So oikos is all over this. So they belong to the oikos, the extended household, the servants, and a devout soldier, a soldier that probably works under Cornelius. He's a part of the oikos. And it says, having related everything to them, he sends them to Joppa. Now here's Peter's side of the story. The next day as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went on the housetop about the sixth hour. This is noon. And it says he wanted something to eat. The Greek says there he's really hungry. And it says while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him. This is, by the way, this is my key verse for hunting and bow hunting. Rise, Peter, kill, and eat. I'm like, oh, yeah, I get to do that. Okay, but Peter said, by no means, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. He has kept kosher 10 years after the resurrection. He's still keeping a kosher home. And the voice came to him again and said a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up into heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down, and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, 
though not Jewish, by the way, um, just saying, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his oikos, to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guest. The next day he arose and went with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And had called together, and this is where we get a real pic- good picture, that oikos is larger than your children and grandchildren. It says here that he had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him. And by the way, he's a pagan. He only knows pagan ways, and, and he got exhausted of the Roman gods. He has now turned to seek the God of the Jews, though he is not Jewish. And he does not yet know God. So when Peter comes in, it says, Cornelius fell down at his feet and worshipped him. He doesn't know any better. Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up, I too am a man. And he talked with him. And he went in and found, and watch this, the power of one man's influence. Many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know, this is Peter talking. You yourself know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Um, Nice way to start, Peter. Hey, you guys are Gentile trash. I don't know what I'm doing here, but obviously God has bigger plans than my prejudice. I mean, it's pretty blunt. Um, And if God could use Peter, he could use anyone. He says, God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Like, foot and mouth. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked, then why you sent for me? Cornelius says, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa. Ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging at the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once. You've been kind enough to come now. Therefore, we are all here. His entire household. Friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers, soldiers that work for him, servants, the whole oikos is present. Tell us uh, what you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opens his mouth a second time and does it again. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Just let's point out the distinction here again. I shouldn't be here, but God thinks different. I understand that in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. I need to say just something quickly about that. He did not say everyone is accepted. He says they are acceptable. Meaning God is willing to save them. He sent his son and has already paid the price for the forgiveness of everyone's sins. So that's what he means there, that he's acceptable. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
And we are witnesses of all that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Now listen to this. If you're wondering how to explain the gospel, or you're still uncertain if you are forgiven and what are you supposed to do to be a Christian, here it is. It says here, lost my page. Yeah, to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who is sincere and committed to offering prayers and works really hard to be devout and fears God is forgiven. That's not what it says. Why do I do that and point that out? Because Cornelius, Cornelius was devout and sincere in giving alms and praying all the time. He still needed the gospel. And here is the gospel. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There it is. Cornelius was a good man. His whole household was good. As good as any, better than most. They still needed the gospel. Let's see what happens. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. By the way, the Holy Spirit never falls without faith coming first. The whole household is believing the gospel in God, demonstrating, I see what just happened in their hearts through faith. The Holy Spirit falls on them. The believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed. The gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues um, and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water from baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked him to remain for some days. Wow. Yes, the oikos principle is all over this narrative. And we want to look at that in a moment. But I want to drill down on, on something that I just pointed out. That I think comes first, and that is this. As devout and God-fearing and committed to good works as Cornelius and his household were, it wasn't enough. How good is good enough? Not good enough. Ever. I might be talking to you. You think you're a good person. As you look around the world, you've been responsible. You've tried to do good. You try to uh, do good to your spouse. Um, you don't have a potty mouth. A whole bunch of things that you'd say, yeah, put that on my ledger. Hopefully I'm good enough. I don't think you can do better than Cornelius. And here's one of the big pictures of Acts chapter 10. The best there is in this world still ain't good enough. Cornelius needed the gospel. In fact, in chapter 11, 
um, as Peter's trying to defend, yeah, we, I preach to the, the, the Gentiles because the uptight, legalistic Jewish converts are going, what did you do? And he's trying to defend himself and he just says like, yeah, he told me like, he called me and, and it's actually chapter 11 verse 14, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and your, your whole household. Meaning, Cornelius, I've, I'm watching you work so hard to please me, but it's never going to work. Go get Peter. He needs to share the gospel with you. And so someone named Peter has to not only go 33 miles, 66 total if you add the journey both ways, but um, he needs to cross a chasm that is light years apart ethnically, socially, and religiously of Jews to Gentiles. Someone needed to go far. Someone needed to go overseas. Someone needed to cross the great divide in order to get the gospel to a good but not good enough man and his household. And, and here's what I want you to, to take away from that. There are many sincere seeking and quote-unquote acceptable people that are still spiritually lost. They are yet unsaved. That sincere seeking and moral people still need the gospel just as much, sometimes more, than the reprobates. You want to know why? It's because many times being good turns into self-righteousness. And the person is no longer aware of how desperately they need a savior. That might be you. That might be someone in your oikos. They need to hear the gospel clearly lived out and clearly explained. Many sincere seeking and acceptable yet unsaved. In another message that Peter preached uh, preached in Acts 4, verse 12, he said this, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation in no one else, not even in yourself or in your own goodness. We desperately need a Savior. So important is the gospel that angels had to intervene. But I want you to also notice this. The angels could intervene and give visions, but they were not allowed to share the gospel. They could only arrange the date. Why? Because God limits himself to you and me. God limited him, himself to an evangelist, to a missionary, to a human being messenger of the gospel. And the same is true today. There may be these kinds of sincere seekers in your oikos. This is what we learn from Hebrews 3 in the reading today. Take care lest there be someone who is falling short of the grace of God. Don't take it for granted. The people in your household, that's the first thing I want you to see. Here's the second thing, and here's the good news about that. Whether you have people in your oikos that are generally good, moral people that are yet unsaved, or they're lost, 
and broken and reprobate and, and on, on the hell express and, and they're living like it. Here's the good news. This is the second fill in the blank. Our greatest impact will always be oikos. It's just one man, one woman, no matter what your place in the oikos system, has the power of great spiritual influence. And I pointed this out. Relatives and close friends were there, servants, the oikates, the devout soldier. They were all there. Cornelius had the power to influence them. Hey, I got a special guest coming. We all need to gather. And while they were gathered, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They all become believers. They all receive baptism. See, Cornelius had a perfectly designed, <clears throat> predetermined sphere of influence called his oikos. Again, Michael Green, church historian, says this. You'll see a few parts of this up there. He says, one of the most important methods of spreading the gospel in antiquity was the use of oikos, or homes. Watch this. It had the positive advantages. The comparatively small numbers involved made real interchange of views and informed discussion among the participants possible. He goes on to say, there was no artificial isolation of preacher from, from hearers. There was no temptation for either speaker or heckler to play the gallery as there was in the public place or open-air meeting. He goes on, this sheer informality and relaxed atmosphere of home, not to mention the hospitality which must have often gone with it, are all helped to make this form of, of evangelism particularly successful. You go, okay, that's in antiquity. What about today? It's the same today. My dear friend, now colleague, and professor, Gary McIntosh, redid a seminal study that was originally done back in the 90s by a, a man named Wynne Arn. And a couple of years ago, he redid the, the, uh, the data, the interviews. And it's contained in a book called Growing God's Church, How People Are Coming to Faith Today. How are people coming to faith today? And the question was asked, how did you discover Christ? Who led you to faith in Jesus? And this is the data on the graph. Over here, this actually went way up in 30 years. 17% says staff member at a church. That used to be only 3% in the 90s. It's gone way up. I don't know why. But watch this. Family influence or family member. 43.2% work colleague, neighbor, friend. 15.7 and, and on and on. You put family member and friend group together, other than the staff person, because you don't have to be limited to that. You put those together, and you're at 59% of all conversions happening from the world into faith in Christ and into the church. 59% are still coming through the oikos, the extended household. Why is it so powerful? You heard a little bit from Green, but let me just recite Tom Mercer. He says, we naturally have more quality opportunity to share with the people who, who we are with most often. 
As a result, the faith which is demonstrated in our daily lives is more regularly scrutinized, or I would say proven, in oikos. If you've been around, you know this line um, from research. People who come to faith when asked to recount all the ways God did it, on average, they say that it was 30 divine moments. 30 touches of God. Six clear gospel presentations. And those were done uh, through credible Christians and that it happened over time. That third piece, credible Christians. How do they know if you're credible? Because they see you in the household. They watch your marriage or how you deal with singleness, or even divorce. They watch Jesus at work in and through your life. God is doing his work of drawing them. Six clear gospel presentations from credible Christians over time. That speaks to the power of oikos. Let's bottom line it today. What's, what's the point of this message here at the end of our Great Commission series? Here it is. When it comes to the sharing and the spreading of the gospel and making disciples, some must go far. Peter had to go far. 33 miles one way, but a light year of a cultural and religious divide. Some must go far, but all must go oikos. We all have them. 8 to 10 or 8 to 15 people with whom you have the greatest influence. And why is this so powerful? Because even if you wanted to go far, you wanted to be in ministry, you wanted to be a missionary, guess what? You have no business going there if you can't do it here. Eric Alexander says, There's no ideal place to serve God except the place where he has set you down. Start there. Start there in your Jerusalem. Start there at your dinner table. Open up your dinner table. Expand your oikos. Start with the people that God has placed predetermined that you would be with and around. Some must go far, all must go oikos. Let me give you just a couple of takeaways. First off, pray expectantly for the people in your household and never give up. Don't give up, even if it looks like you're losing them. Can I tell you, Jack Shatama, pastor, I read this and I go, man, I'm taking that for life. It always looks like failure in the middle. Coming to faith in Christ is a process. And at times you go, that'll never happen. Don't give up. Keep praying. Stay faithful. Number two, be present. You cannot influence your oikos at a distance. It's the very idea that you are present emotionally, physically, spiritually present. Jim Elliott said, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. Be present. Three, continue to grow and be transformed. 
your oikos is watching. Don't let something from your past or present jam you up. Christ must be formed in you. That is how you become a credible witness. And finally, keep gossiping the gospel. Drop God talk into your conversations and ask good questions. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for coming, giving us yourself, Lord Jesus, and then entrusting to us such a beautiful gospel that we might share it with the world. Help us to do it well. Help us to do it where we're at. Help us to start here in our Jerusalem or restart in our Jerusalem, in our households. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.